0: Let's check in on our small startup team, the CTO, co-founder, and the architect. They've put together the set of tools they need to build their application. Their development process is ready to start, but something's missing. This app needs to be used by actual humans. What should it look like? How should it appear to users? What should a user expect from the experience from a visual standpoint? The user interface needs to be easy to navigate, straightforward, and also create space for feature rollouts to come out down the road. That's something that might be out of the realm for a CTO or an architect. After hours of meetings, whiteboards, and emails, one of them caves in. They say, why don't we hire a designer? Another response, a designer? Isn't it a bit too early? Startups often need to ration out funds for new hires very carefully. Some teams elect to outsource their design while others try to bootstrap it or do it themselves. While the founding team members have a lot of thoughts and passionate opinions, they are a bit short on experience. They want their customer experience to be clear, consistent, and competitive. So they need to make a move to hire with design in mind. But what is the role of design when building software? And more importantly, where in development does that role begin?
1: This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm Johan Philippine.
2: I'm Angela Andrews, and I'm Kim Wong.
1: We're following a fictional startup as they grow their business. We're calling the series Reroll. Any resemblance to real companies is purely coincidental and unintentional.
0: As it grows, our startup
2: realizes it needs to fill new roles. Today's episode, The Designer. If you'd like to listen from the start of the series, check out our episode on the CTO.
1: Producer Kim Huang is here with our story.
0: Angela, I have a question. What's that?
2: What do you think of when you think of the word design? I think about aesthetics how things look, how they feel, how they make you feel. I think design is one of those things that encompasses a lot of feeling. And if it's useful, if it's helpful, if it makes you feel good, design is a lot of things. It's more about how you feel, at least to me. How about
0: you, Johan?
1: Well, I think of it in much the same way. But I also understand that there are different kinds of designers out there. There's UX design, UI design, visual design, and I'm not quite sure what the difference between all of those roles is.
0: Mm. Those are great points. And there are so many types of design. I always think, what does it really all mean? Like, when you say design, is it a large concept, kind of like what Angela was saying, or is there something that is more specific or more narrowed down? And what are all the differences between all the different types of design? Mm-hmm. Thinking about the fictional Star Trek that we've been following this mm-hmm. entire season, I feel like they have their hearts in the right place, but maybe they need to think about design more broadly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To illustrate this point, I want to introduce Wolfgang Wolfgang Bremer. He's the head of design at Elli. Elli is a company that's part of the Volkswagen Group, and they create charging solutions for electric vehicles. They're based in Germany, just like Wolfgang.
3: The other day, I saw a picture, which a colleague shared, taken here in Berlin, where somebody was parking with their vehicle on the street in front of an old building, and probably they were living on the, I think, second or third floor. And from the third floor balcony, or the window next to the balcony, there was a charging cable going down, (laughs) all the way to the vehicle on the street, you know? And maybe that's a quirky example, but I find this actually represents quite well how from a design point of view, we often think in the sense of, okay, how can we, or what is the problem or what are these problems? How can we address them?
0: So this is what Wolfgang says is the core of design, solving a problem.
3: And this, I guess, is also exactly where we try to, from a design point of view, to make things right. Not just like, oh, people will get used to it, but like, no, no, no. How do people go about their days? You know, how do they use their vehicles? Where do they actually park? You know, on the street? Do they have their own garage? You know, not everybody has the same opportunities, let's say, for parking their vehicle and charging it.
0: Design shouldn't necessarily change the way people do things. According to Wolfgang, it should complement a person's behavior.
3: So we are trying to create something in a better way, I, I want to say via design.
0: So, on that note, what kinds of people are responsible for design? Is it just the designer? In Wolfgang's example, a person used the length of the charging cable for their electric vehicle as a way to charge it from their third-floor apartment. Even a person who isn't a designer can use design to solve their problems. Katherine Grayson-Nantz, a developer
4: advocate at software company Progress, She says that's not unusual. As you grow, you get someone whose job it is to be the maintainer and to answer the questions for other people and to scale the system and to tackle new problems as they arise. What happens is that every single person who has to make a design decision is then kind of left on their own uh, and they have to make that decision to the best of their ability. And sometimes that's okay, right? If you have a whole team of like really competent design folks, then you can not feel, you know, that pain for a while. But designers are not the only ones who make design decisions.
0: It's important that individuals and teams within a company understand what design is and how it's there to help them achieve their goals. Here's Wolfgang again.
3: We should actually educate the people within the company to a degree that we say, look, these are all the things that designers do, not just making things pretty, you know, but we, we talk to users, we try to understand what they actually need, we are bringing these insights in that we as one team, like product engineering, sales, marketing, design, and whoever else I forgot, can make more educated decisions and better choices, which will save us not only headaches, you know, but the time and discussions and money in the end, you know.
0: All right. So design, simply put, is a way to solve problems.
2: And not just designers do design. Everyone does. It sounds like it is a part of everyone's job. If you're in this organization and you're solving probably a lot of the same problems, then Mm -hmm. those decisions are really design decisions. I would never thought of it that way, but this really does make sense. Yeah.
1: Help me out a little bit here. Sure. What kinds of decisions are these designers making to solve these problems?
2: And that's
0: really, I guess I don't know a way to say this without going into the other points, but <laughs> it's a good question. So I feel like designers really have, this is based on my own working experience, a desire to know ultimately what solves the problem in the eyes of the user or in the eyes of the customer, right? Okay. So, again, they don't want to change their behavior. You know, ideally, you don't want a person to have to take a long cord out from their apartment into the street from three floors up to charge their vehicle. You want to come up with a solution where they don't have to do anything out of the ordinary, but they also can accomplish whatever tasks that they're doing at the time. So I feel like ultimately what they end up doing is exploring and discovering a user's kind of lifestyle, maybe their responses to issues, their responses to challenges. Those are a lot of the approaches that I've seen done in user research, for example. Mm -hmm. So how do you know you're
2: making the right design decision? You don't.
1: Hmm. Well, <laughs> sometimes you can figure out when you've made the wrong decision, right? If you go back mm. to our episode on the architect, we had someone who got so frustrated with the way things were put together that they smashed their keyboard against the wall, right? That's, that's an indication that something somewhere was wrong, right?
0: Yes. It's a reaction you can easily read into. Mm-hmm. A lot of user research is basically looking at Users going through an application and and the mistakes they they make, or maybe not necessarily mistakes, but the things that they anticipate it's different than what their expectations were, or they're not able to like navigate around the app easily. Hmm. That kind of stuff is really important to user research.
1: So how do we remedy it when something goes wrong?
0: Well, I think it's very similar to how you remedy a problem in development, right? So uh-huh. if you have a new feature rollout and people either don't like it or it doesn't work very well or there's bugs or maybe people are using it differently than you anticipated, you go back to the drawing board, go back to your teams, and on the next deployment, you have an updated version or you, know, you have a, a change that is more in line with what the user or the customer expects. Okay, so design, simply put, is a way to creatively solve problems, and not just designers do it. But with all the tools and technology and skills that are at a team's disposal, why would a creative solution even be necessary? We're going to hear from someone for whom design was a game changer in a surprising way. This is Zach Lloyd. Before he became a serial entrepreneur, he was a principal engineer at Google. Zach led the development teams for something many of us use every single day, Google Docs. He has a lot of thoughts and opinions on how application interfaces are designed.
5: One thing that does really kind of drive me nuts, whether it's in like developer software or other kinds of software, is just like badly designed interfaces, poorly designed software. You know, even just like on my Apple TV last night, I was using an app and they had implemented like fast-forwarding in some really, really weird way. And it was like, why are you wasting my time making me like learn how to do some bizarre fast-forwarding thing? There is like a better way to do it.
0: Currently, Zach is the CEO of Warp. Warp is trying to reimagine a better way for a common development tool, the terminal. But in order to get started, he had to hire for a position you wouldn't expect. Not an architect, not a developer, a designer.
5: It was very intentional to try to bring on an exceptional designer early. So when it was just me and this designer, CQ, we spent a lot of time just figuring out conceptually and then eventually like visually what the initial app might look like, what the future space of innovation might look like. And that made it so much easier to communicate the vision of what we were doing, which in turn made it easier to attract more engineers, to attract investors.
0: Zach explains on why hiring a designer first wasn't just a boon to his concept, but also to his company's growth and hiring.
5: The early sort of work was like figuring out what is like the right strategy for attracting those people. And when you don't have a product, when you don't have users, and all you have is like a vision and a story and like you're trying to explain to people, like, here's what I would like to build. It's like, it's so much more compelling to be able to do that with the aid of a really design concept deck or like concept box or like simple prototype. And so working backwards from that made sense to try to bring on someone who could help me do that. I can't do that. I'm not artistic. I don't have the skill set to do it. So, you
1: know, like that became an important person to bring on. So that was really surprising to me to hear that the designer was the first person he hired to be on his team.
2: Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense because who's going to put the vision on paper, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word? Like Mm -hmm. if you have an idea or a concept Well, how do you bring it into fruition? You need someone to take that information and design something that makes it what we're expecting it to be, Mm -hmm. you know, and you do have to have an artistic bent. Like you said, that everybody can't go in Figma and just throw something together that's functional and aesthetically pleasing. And that's Mm -hmm. what designers are for. They fill a huge gap. Yes, especially if you're dealing with
0: something that may not exist in any capacity beforehand, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of startups do, right? They build things that we just never had as a, a greater kind of technological landscape. We don't have anything that's like that before, so they're creating something totally new. It needs to be something that's tangible and that has a lot of visual to
1: it. hmm Yeah. On top of that, they're working on a terminal, right? So mm-hmm. this is something that developers, sysadmins, everyone who does any kind of technical work on a computer, they're very familiar with terminals, right? Yes. So not only do they need to do something that's somewhat familiar, but they, in order to make an impact, they're going to have to design something that also does something a little new. And I imagine that's a very difficult thing to do.
2: And functional,
0: yeah. Yeah, and alleviates a lot of the problems because, you know, terminal is a thing that, you know, it's a thing that's existed for a very long time. But that's there right. are a lot of... um I'll keep it tasteful. Uh, a lot of issues and a lot of uh, usability issues, a lot of things mm-hmm. that make it kind of like unwieldy and not really friendly for, let's say, a junior developer to kind of jump in and use. So why not use design to reimagine something that is in that kind of vein? Mm-hmm. So we've heard from some professionals on how they define the design discipline, right? Wolfgang and Catherine. And now we've heard from at least one CEO about the importance of design. I feel like that is more than enough. The defense rests. However, <laughs> I want to know where design comes into the build. Mm. It sounds like it's too vital to be after the fact. So I want to bring in one more voice to this conversation to talk about where design and development intersects. So I'm going to tell a story really quickly, very short. Story time. Yes. Before I worked at Red Hat, I worked in the e-commerce department for a major retailer. And in the cubicle next to me, there was a UX designer. He was very smart, really funny. Uh, He and I became pretty good friends. Uh, We would hang out together, even outside of work. And then I left the company and we both kind of parted ways. A little while ago, I was tooling around social media, and I was looking at this design conference that I would love to go to one day. It's one of the biggest design conferences in the world. And I was looking on stage, and some guy went to the microphone and started speaking, and I said, I know that guy. That's my friend. I couldn't believe it. So I reached out to him to get his thoughts on design development. And let's just say he's experienced a lot of career growth since we last talked.
6: I'm Andy Vitale. I'm the executive vice president of design at Rocket Companies.
0: Besides being in charge of a team of 150 designers, Andy speaks at conferences about how design bridges different areas of a business.
6: I look at art and design as two separate things. Like, of course, designers have this level of creativity, but design happens within constraints where art kind of doesn't have those constraints.
0: So... I have an example where you can use creativity with restraint on your own. If you ever heard of a haiku, you know that it's, you know, pretty straightforward, simple rules. You have five Mm -hmm. syllables in the beginning, seven in the second verse, and then five again. And that is kind of what Andy is talking about. That format is, number one, it's restrictive. But if you understand the rules, you can use that restriction to innovate and make up concepts and things that you've never done before. You have to make an entire verse or entire idea or vision or even a story that makes sense within those very narrow guidelines. But it really empowers people to be able to make things that are new. I asked Andy about a designer coming into an environment similar to our startup, an environment that may have some restraint. Here's what he had to say.
6: I think someone coming in from the beginning, the very first designer, you know, that that really depends on the company itself. So if the founder's an engineer, I think they're going to look for someone that probably has more polish from a visual design standpoint, and they're going to look for a designer that's going to come in and try to apply a brand style, make something look at least consistent, focus on you know, visual appeal and usability through the visual lens. And I think that what you'll start to see, especially if it's, you know, a design team of one, they're going to be more of a generalist probably than they will be a specialist. So they're going to push back on things like interaction and like user flow. And that may ruffle some feathers or they're going to ask about research. And what do we know about the people that are going to use this product?
0: Brand style. Hmm. So that is something that I feel like we can define a little bit further. Please
2: do. Please do.
0: Sure. Brand style or a, I guess, uh, style guideline makes the design and the visual appearance of an application more consistent and more uniform so that users are not confused and they know what to expect and they know what needs to happen and when. And the efforts to make a brand style more consistent usually results in something called a design
4: system. And I'll let Catherine add some context here. A design system is something that you build really organically as you encounter different situations that require documentation. I really do think of them in the same way that I would think of documentation for a you know a library or <laughs> anything else really. Right? Is that every time you solve a problem you write down (laughs) the way that you solved it and if that's a pattern that needs to happen again or if that was a one-off situation you know and ideally you don't have many of those i think everyone frankly across the entire company benefits from a design system right because you start looking at a really complete design system it's going to also include things like tone of voice that will kind of talk about how you are positioning the brand and what's most important when you're talking about the brand and you know are we Focusing on being incredibly professional, or be fun and casual and relatable, and those kind of things are going to matter to salespeople, to marketers, you know, to folks that don't have any relation to creating the actual user interface of an application.
0: And here is Wolfgang on the timing of all of that in development.
3: I think, especially in these areas where somebody aims to disrupt something. I think it's very important to have design involved. The other direction, I mean, and of course, that is something I have to say when I wear my designer hat. The other point of view, if I would purely think from the point of view of an entrepreneur, I would probably think about money first and think where I can save money. And unfortunately, often, the decision mm-hmm. might be, let's not involve design so early, you know, in the sense of, you're three people startup, we don't have funding, I can't afford to have a designer. And that is also the case, right? which is unfortunate, but understandable, relatable, really, right? But I think the problem there is, is similar to not having marketing or sales in the beginning. Because even if you build the greatest app and nobody knows about it, nobody's going to use it, right? So yes, you might save the cost on having a marketing person and a design person, but then you're going to pay the price for it in the long run. So to me, it's always like, I would (laughs) involve, of course, a designer as early as possible.
0: So when you're talking about design coming into development, I think that the consensus here is the sooner the better, because you do want to make the best first impression with your app. You do want to use the power of design to make a good customer experience, and you want to ultimately save money now, then have to pay it, a lot of it, later to fix a problem should it arise. Andy comes back to close us
6: out with some thoughts Design has come a long way over the years. And, you know, the it's gone from how do we design this screen to how are we designing entire ecosystems and products and what those touch points are and looking at different services and experiences. I think that design is, is really collaborative and design is a differentiator. And we've seen all of the reports from McKinsey and design management institute and there's lots of information out there on how good design is good for business and that's a mix of that triad of design product and engineering and together with that focus on on the user putting the user at the center of everything that you do and testing and learning you're going to be successful
2: so what do you think Well, you think about some of the big brands that we know. They all have a style. Mm. It's recognizable. Uh And that's what you want. You know, think about Red Hat. Red Hat has a style. Yes. And within that, compiler exists. And it has Mm. a style, but it really harkens back to Red Hat. So it it makes it very brand recognizable. Mm. So it is good for business because it relates It makes people say, hmm, I already feel like I know, you know, so this is really good business tying that all together. And as he spoke about that triad, all of those parts are so important for any product, project, service or whatever. Mm -hmm. We want that. I think as humans, we expect it.
0: Yeah. And if you have that visual to tie to a good customer experience, a customer is going to remember that. Mm-hmm. Someone that uses your app is going to remember the experience that they had more than they're going to remember, say, your company's name or, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> something that's in your vision statement.
1: I'd like to go back and and maybe kind of recap what we've learned in this section.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like Andy's viewpoints on, first of all, creativity with restraint— It's something that I encounter at my job every day, and Uh I'm sure it's something that a lot of designers encounter on a regular basis. And when you hear restraint, that's a very negative connotation, right? But in actuality, it kind of empowers you to create really good work that solves problems. So that's one point that I think is really important to talk about. Uh As far as the design systems go, and I don't know how either of you feel, but I feel like what Angela was saying is true having that design system contributes to your overall brand recognition and your brand style. And people can tie that back to whatever experience or whatever interaction that people have with whatever you're making, your product, your application. And that's for better or for worse, unfortunately. That's true. Yes. That's
1: true. I was really interested in the way that Catherine was talking about this design system kind of coming up Organically, mm. But also in Wolfgang's and Andy's points that, you know, design coming in early is very important, right?
2: Right. Well, these early employees, they're setting the stage mm-hmm. for this product, this service, this application. And their conversations, the more that you talk, the more that it comes into fruition. And then you can put those ideas down. So the people play a huge part and building that out. And Mm -hmm. it's made up of the people and things that they've seen and that they know and what makes them feel or elicit a certain response. So this is such a people-centric, emotion-centric topic. Design is such an important field to be in. And as we see, it's a huge part of technology.
0: I think that this episode taught me about design being less of an afterthought and more of something that is absolutely necessary up mm. front. Someone needs mm. to be in the room to make those decisions. And sometimes, yes, those decisions are made by people who aren't designers. Mm-hmm. But even non-designers can be stewards for design standards. And that mm. gives them agency in a process that they may feel
2: closed off mm. from. So welcoming.
0: Yes. And collaborative. That's what it's all about. <laughs> So I think it's safe for us to turn the page on designers. But going back to our startup, they are running into some challenges with the infrastructure that they need to keep everything running and maintained. They're going to need
2: a systems administrator. Well, I loved learning about the designer. It is such an integral role in so many companies, startups, large companies alike. We want to hear what you think about this episode. You could even share it to us in a haiku. How cool is that? (laughs) So what do you think about designers? What do you think about the architect role, any role inside of a startup or in your company? Share with us at Red Hat on Twitter, and you can use the hashtag Compiler Podcast. We want to hear your haikus. Get creative. We want to hear what you got.
1: And that does it for the designer episode of Compiler Reroll.
2: Today's episode was produced by Kim Wong, Caroline Craighead, and Johan Philippine. Victoria Lawton wrote you a haiku, but her (laughs) dog ate it. She says she's sorry. Our audio engineer is Christy Chan. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Marianne Chetta. Thank you to our guests, Wolfgang Brummer, Catherine Grayson Nons, Zach Lloyd, and Andy Vitale. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wunderlich, Mike Esser, Brent Semino, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ertel, Devin Pope, Matias Foundez. Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Alex Tribulsi.
1: If you like today's episode, please follow the show, leave us a rating and a review, and share it with someone you know. It really helps us grow.
2: Thank you so much for listening. We enjoy you all. Until next time.
5: Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer and longtime Red Hatter. I love thinking about what happens next with generative AI. But here's the thing, foundation models alone don't add up to an AI strategy. And why is that? Well, first, models aren't one size fits all. You have to fine tune or augment these models with your own data, and then you have to serve them for your own use case. Second, one and done isn't how AI works. You've got to make it easier for data scientists, app developers, and ops teams to iterate together. And third, AI workloads demand the ability to dynamically scale access to compute resources. You need a consistent platform, whether you build and serve these models on premise or in the cloud or at the edge. This is complex stuff, and Red Hat OpenShift AI is here to help. Head to redhat.com to see how.